Welcome to the Human Being Unleashed podcast, where we redefine, realign, and reimagine what it means to be human so that you can live a life with the health, wealth, and relationships that are inherently yours. Now, are you in for a treat today? If you are tuning into today's episode, let me just say that I sat down with an amazing human being who is just absolutely unstoppable in who she is and what she's doing. And I love everything about her and I can really get behind it because of what she does. It's so personally, you know, meaningful to me because let me ask you this. I I can imagine that there is some book out there that you can think of when somebody asks you the question, what book changed your life? Can you think back to a book that was pivotal for you in your life that made a profound and lasting impact that you still carry with you today? Not physically, but I mean mentally and spiritually and emotionally. You carry what you took from that book with you, right? Because books, they introduce you to new ideas, new images, new possibilities that can change everything. Like for me, it was the idea that thoughts become things and that our thoughts create reality. When that idea got introduced to my mind at that time, it shifted the trajectory of my life. And there's no way I'd be here if it wasn't for that idea. The work of Esther and Jerry Hicks was, it just, you know, Abraham Hicks, it shifted everything for me. And this individual who I am sitting down with today, she not only has a personal deep love for books and personally, you know, just reading and that for herself, but she loves it to the point where she is helping individuals who are truly bringing, I mean, reality shifting and disrupting ideas to the world she's helping them get their voice out there and get their message out there and truly what she does can lead to i mean (laughs) countless and countless of billions of lives changing and i say that confidently because books are just and she's helped people produce such amazing books out there today So because of the fact that she's already doing it, it's all the evidence that I need to know that she's going to continue to be unstoppable and continue to help people in this way. She has been doing this for over 15 years. She's been in this space for 15 years. And her zone of genius is being able to take her clients really big and life-changing ideas, their stories, their experiences, and really synthesize them into books and messages that hit home for, for, for the readers that they want to read an impact and that they want to reach an impact excuse me and I mean really with all that being said what what else can I say about Bryna Haynes Bryna Haynes is a wonderful human being and she can express herself way better than I can through my ideas and let me just go ahead and get right to it so sit back relax and enjoy and if you're driving still relax but 
pay attention. <laughs> Everybody else sit back, kick back, relax, and enjoy. Let's take this back to when you were 19. Because, well, one of the things is, is I hate when people ask me, so tell me about your life. Because I do a lot of a lot of podcast interviews, so I'm not going to start there. But where I am going to start is you were 19 years old at a point in your life, right? And <laughs> Forever and ever ago, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and you were living as a musician, and you said, I forgot how you said it, busking from coffee shop to coffee shop in Atlanta. So I'm curious, what about, well, first answer, well, first we start here. What about you wanted to be a, wanted to be a musician, do you think? Oh my gosh, what a question. So first, I want to say thanks for having me on. And you, I feel like you know me way more than just a little bit because um, friends listening, if you have not worked with Adrian for this, this amazing subconscious reprogramming work that he does, I mean, we unraveled all kinds of things and I've had major life change as a result. Um, and uh, so thank you for that. I want to acknowledge that first off. So oh like my. he knows all my dirty secrets. That's definitely an interesting aspect of my job is learning some interesting things. <laughs> so I want to acknowledge that, but thank you. Yeah, so um, I've, I've had a, a very... Um, I don't know, I guess you call it an unusual life path. Um, so I start. I really growing up was was very, very into music, um, played in orchestras, you know, like did all the things. And when I was a teenager, I picked up the guitar and it was the perfect vehicle for me to pour my teenage angst and, you know, unrequited love right into. Um, and Adrian, as you said, when I was, uh, when I was 19, I moved to Atlanta and, um, was living with some friends and was making a living playing in coffee shops. And so that was like back in the day when that was a thing. Um, okay, real quick. I'm interjecting for a second. When you yeah. say making a living yeah. through music, do you mean like you had no job other than that? Like you were a full-time musician. That's what you mean. Not for long, because ramen noodles got old wicked fast. Mm, um, I can imagine. Yeah, uh, but but yes, for uh, for about six months, I was doing okay. nothing but um, but playing my guitar for for pay, for tips, for food, you know, like wow, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, it was um, it was it was pretty intense. What did and you learn throughout that experience of just mm -hmm. playing guitar for a six month period? Because that's a very creative endeavor at a young age. What did you, you know, learn from that? It was it was really great because I felt like it was you know I wasn't wasting my time is how I felt like I you know I had worked in restaurants I had worked in other jobs and I felt like there's got to be more than this. And I felt like I was at least working towards something that had to do with my passion. But at the same time, I was working off this feeling that if I was only in the right place at the right time, if I was only good enough, if I was only uh, lucky enough that someone would come and quote unquote, discover me, and yeah. then I would have a platform. And, you know, granted, this was in the late 90s. This was 1998. And so it really was a thing. 
that you know musicians were really getting discovered playing on the street or playing in clubs or playing in coffee shops okay it was it was still it I was, was two still years old so I, I was two years old so I, i'm not i'm not so aware of that <laughs> it it really was a thing back then and my thought process was you know if jewel can be discovered in a coffee shop like why not me why not Bryna? Why right not? so it's logical um and i also had this and you know now years later i recognize this i had this really persistent underlying belief of not being enough and so me believing in myself and my music wasn't enough i had to find someone else to believe in me before i could like pass some sort of cosmic test and you know end up on the stages where i really wanted to be and as you know, as happens to so many hopeful artists and musicians, no one was coming to discover me. Like no one was going to walk into Starbucks and Buckhead and be like, "Hey, you, you're the next big thing," you know. Or if if that was going to happen, it was such a long shot that you know, banking on it was just it was not aligned. And really, what it turned into was another way to reinforce my belief that I wasn't enough. Like nobody was no, you know. You're playing, you're playing at a coffee shop, you know, with like other starving artists, like writing their novels or whatever, or business people coming in for their coffee and their lunch. Like it was, um, I love that you said belief, by the yeah. way, that you're not yeah. enough. And the reason why is, you know, a lot of people have assumptions about reality that they don't see as beliefs. Mm -hmm. Right. And so it's like, people were like, no, I'm genuine. I'm actually like not enough. Look, nobody's. I mean, nobody's discovering me. Look, nobody's looking at me. I'm actually not enough. Oh, but, believe me, it felt that way at the oh, time. Oh, I can imagine. Yeah, those are what beliefs are. Exactly. Beliefs are going to paint the experience. So I totally yeah. get that. All right. Now, let me, I'm curious because from going from 19 years old singing, oh, when did you, so you said you picked up the guitar in your teens, right? Like, yeah. how old are you about? Uh, I'm 43. No, at the time. At, oh, the, at time. the time when I was when, when I you picked up the guitar. the guitar for the first time, when you were like, you know what, oh, let me goodness. try this thing. Uh, maybe thirteen or fourteen. My 13 dad or... had my dad had an old acoustic Gibson that uh, that he reluctantly let me play, and then when he saw I had a real interest in it, he got me my first guitar. Mm, okay, and then from there, I read after about a year, you moved back home. Correct. I did. I moved back to Rhode Island. I. Um, I got a uh, I got a waitressing job and I went to hairdressing school because I figured, you know, another creative venue. I was constantly playing with my appearance, probably tied right into that whole not enough thing. Like I was, ah, constantly, interesting. you know, I mean, like yeah. building myself from the outside in. Um, but it was an incredibly fun and creative career. And um, it really how long did you do that for about eight years? Mm. Um, so yeah, so I was, um, I started that right when I got back from Atlanta, pretty much. And then when I was 28, um, 27 or 28, I'm losing track. This is how it goes. Right? <laughs> <laughs> we can't remember our own lives. 27 or 28. I know it was 2007. I just don't remember okay. my 28 yet. Um, it was when I started my freelance writing business and uh, really launched into the career. All right. So let, let's, let's go back for a second. All right. Okay. So you went from singing to hairdressing and then from there you started going into writing 
Now, growing up, did you have a knack for writing? Did you enjoy writing? What I'm curious where that came from, because it sounds like a such a pivot, you know? It, it was and it wasn't. Um, okay. You know, I've, I've always been really steeped in the creative arts. Um, I, I started, I mean, I don't remember a time when I couldn't read and where I wasn't surrounded by books. Um, and books were really my my go-to growing up for, for everything. Um, including escape, you know, I didn't, uh, I didn't watch a lot of TV, you know, we oh. didn't, this is, you know, I mean, in the, in the eighties, right. You had, um, you know, normal, like cable TV where I lived, wasn't even a thing. Like this is how quickly. Uh, you so it was like, you had a couple got, channels. You know, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, channel, cha- NBC 10, you know, sometimes when the antennas uh. decided to work. Right. So, mm. um, uh, we were, we were really out in the country and, um, and so, you know, the alternative was was books and i just grew up with this real love of reading and i was just obsessed with books uh, books of all kinds any kind of book and i actually had some thoughts about going to college to pursue a creative writing degree but i also knew myself well enough to know that i didn't want to work that hard because i wasn't i wasn't going to get a lot of help for college, um, where my where my parents were financially, and um, and so we were kind of right in that middle where I wasn't going to get a ton of financial aid, but my parents weren't able to really contribute everything. So it's like I could I could do this, and I could you know work my butt off forty hours a week plus go to school full time to get a piece of paper that I'm not really even sure I want that badly. <laughs> and so I decided yeah, that wasn't yeah. for me, so and that was what I took off for Atlanta. So. Um, okay. But it came back around, you know, so uh, I never lost that connection with books and writing. And um, when I felt like I had had enough of the salon world, my, my, it was starting to stress out my body. I was starting to feel creatively unfulfilled, loved my um, clients. I'm still in touch with many of them. Um, it wasn't about the clients. I had a fantastic relationships with the people that I worked with. Um, it was more just like, I'm not challenged. I'm not creatively fulfilled. What's next? And um, it, there was cre- no way I was going to go like get a real job. So I had to create something new for myself. Yeah. You know, I, I've, I've never really heard, I don't think maybe I have, but I, I think the first time it stood out to me, the term creatively fulfilled, uh, that's yeah, that's, um, it makes a lot of sense because there's, it sounds like to me, it's, it's interesting because when I hear your story, Come, we're going to come around on what you're doing today, which I love. When I hear your story, it's like very, um, there's like something about expressing a very uh, disruptive energy. When I say disruptive, I mean, it's creative in its disruption. I mean, you know, creative energy in itself is disruption, right? And with your writing career, what, I mean, because what you're doing now is literally disrupting the publishing industry, which is, you know, a big thing for you, which we're going to get into, which we're going to get into for a second in here in a second. But what was it that led you to actually thinking about publishing from your freelancing career? Yeah, so I spent a lot of time um, as a freelance editor, uh, ghostwriter, 
And I, I ended up falling into also doing book design and, you know, graphic design and all kinds of other things simply because my clients needed it and I wasn't finding good resources anywhere else. So you're like, yeah, I can do that too. I can, I can totally do that do too. It. Yeah. You know, I, I got it. Yep. One of I've the magical things from my childhood that my parents were always really amazing about is they gave, they were like, you can learn anything. Ah, and they would set me free in the library and okay what do you want to research and that was like that was my my thing and one of the things i've always been confident about even when i had no confidence in any other area of my life i've always known that i know how to learn and that i'm confident that i can learn and master anything as long as i'm willing to put the time and energy in and so I just followed what I was interested in and, you know, I was, I was interested in how books were created and what made a really great book. It was something that kind of had never crossed my mind just as a consumer of books. But now that I was helping people to produce them, even if it was, you know, not in a super formal capacity, it was more in this freelance capacity um, and that they were working with with publishers or they were, you know, self-publishing or they had they had a traditional publisher or whatever. Um, I became more interested in this sort of start to finish process and what makes a book great, what makes a book attractive, what makes a book useful, what makes a book powerful and. I was really just for years, just kind of like dipping my toes in different parts of the process to see, you know, how does this all work together synergistically? Mm, okay. Now you don't just publish any kind of books for any kind of author, <laughs> which is where I, why I really, really like you. And let's talk about what kind of authors do you like publishing in, in terms of whether it's, I don't think I, from what I've seen, I don't think it's a certain type of topic, right? It seems more like a certain type of intention and like person. What kind of in, who, what kind of individuals do you choose to work with? And I'm curious as to why them. Yeah, so it's it's kind of funny because I was working predominantly in the spiritual space for a very long time. So and I want to talk about that too. Yeah, so. yeah, self help, spirituality. Um, and I loved it. And what I was seeing is that, um, you know, a lot of people were writing really great books, but those books weren't getting a lot of traction. And so I kind of felt a little bit, and this was, you know, part of my growth curve and nothing to do with any of my clients because they were amazing. And I, you know, I love them. Okay. It was, I was feeling like I was creating these really powerful books and, you know, and I was, I was really supporting people and getting their ideas into a format that could be really useful. And at the same time, I felt like I was really like in this backstage role. Like I had put myself, this has nothing to do with any of my clients, okay, but I, I put yeah, myself yeah. in yeah. this like stage manager role. And I had a lot of ideas that I wasn't talking about, came right back to that old fun belief of like, I'm not enough, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I was finally ready to do something about that. So I actually stepped out of the book world from 2018 to 2020. I was like, I, I need to be done with this. I'm, you know, I'm using this role that I've created to keep myself small. And again, had nothing to do with the work I was doing, nothing to do with the people I was working with or the clients I was helping. 
it just had to do with me and how I had positioned myself. Yeah, yeah. And so I stepped out of that for a little while. I was doing mindset coaching and, uh, you know. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, yeah, yeah. I was teaching something called uh, Quantum Evolution, which was really amazing. Lots of mindset work, identity shifting. Um, It was a lot of fun. And and 2020, I had a whole year of events and retreats booked. Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) Oh, oh, oh. Like you were running their events. I was, yeah. Oh, oh, fun. So um, so much about you. I love this. Oh, my gosh. It was was devastating because I had had this plan for where I was going to take this coaching business. And, Mm. um, you know, the universe had other plans that didn't necessarily agree with mine. And so what happened was I was brought right back around to books and publishing. And I basically made a bargain with the universe. I was like, I'm not going back into a backstage role and I'm only going to work on projects and with people who are actually capable of changing the world. That's, that was my ask. And the universe was like, no problem. And I was, it was amazing. And I was, I just connected with absolute, you know, dream clients and fell right into this place of uh, being able to blend both aspects of work that I really love. And so working with people to elevate their thought leadership, working with people to create the most powerful versions of themselves and their work and being able to really lean into the things that matter to me and into my own leadership, which is something I had never done as a freelancer. Um, and so I, I've been, you know, I've been given this opportunity and this purpose um, through which I feel like I can contribute to massive change. And so the people that I work with are are basically, you know, they're they're in that same kind of position. They are incredibly dedicated to the change that they want to be in the world. And they are dedicated to creating that change on a massive scale. And they're willing to invest the energy and the resources and the passion that's actually going to create that. Um, they're not playing small and neither. Yeah. I, okay. So two questions for you. Um, I don't want to lose the second one. Actually, I won't lose it. Don't worry. First one, first one is if you look at your story, you grew up and your way of escape, as you said, in entertainment was books. And then that in itself is a very creative, even a reading of people. I want people to understand like reading itself is creative, just reading itself. Right. And then here you are playing music then you're doing hair then you go back to books, but then you step out of it and you do some coaching and then it kind of sounds like the universe just kind of said you know what uh right back and you find yourself in books what what do you think the lesson is there for you just if you take like a thirty thousand foot view of that yeah so you know i think it's it's amazing so i want to add that like you know, in between all of this, like I also had other jobs, you know, I, I of course, my dad, who's a CPA, you know, I had all these other, like, you know, accounting was definitely not for me. I'm so glad that I did it. Oh, you're not a creative. All this, all this stuff, the universe makes no mistakes because everything that I have done has led me to a learning curve that has supported the next thing I'm doing. 
Mm. And Oh, that's so good for people it, to know. It's so it's so obvious looking back and it was so not obvious while everything was going down. Um, you know, so what do you want people to take away from that? Oh my goodness. Um, we can't always see. It's like sometimes when we're walking through a challenge, it's like being on a bridge in the fog. We don't know what's on the other side. We can't see the direction we've just come from clearly. And the only thing that we can do is just keep putting one foot in front of the other and trust that, you know, we can see clearly enough in this moment not to pitch ourselves over the side. Mm. And like, that's about the best way to describe it. And then you get to the other side of that bridge and you're like, oh, this is where I was being led. But there's so much faith and trust that has to happen in the meantime, because we can very easily turn around and go back to where we came from. At least we know where it is. Um, What does faith and trust mean to you? That's hmm. not my second question, but what does faith and trust mean to you? I'm always interested in hearing people's interpretation. Yeah, um, I would say mine is probably pretty non-standard because I don't really carry what would people would call a traditional faith. Yeah. Um, but to me, faith is like, it's a belief that, let's see, actually, I'm going to use the words of one of my amazing clients, Janine Thompson, who's a, an incredible um, spiritual and high performance coach. I'm going to use her words for this because okay, she, she said it better than I ever could is um, life is always in service to you and you are always in service to life. Mm. And so to me, faith is just this remembrance that no matter what is happening, eventually it will become clear that this was for my highest good. I don't have to love it in the meantime. I can I can absolutely loathe it. In the <laughs> I love it, yeah. Um, I love that. I love it, it. It can be painful. It can be hard. It can suck. It can feel like loss. It can feel like heartbreak. And at the same time, if I am willing to, in the back of my mind, hold that little candle of a belief that says, eventually I'll know why. That to me is faith. Trust. Trust is trusting me. I don't need to trust anything else. I don't need to trust society. I don't need to trust institutions. I don't even need to trust other people. Although I'm very lucky to have people around me who are fully trustworthy. I just you trust need... yourself so well. well You're gonna bring, all right? I well, think it's this, it's I don't know what's gonna happen, but I trust myself to make the best decisions that I can with the information at hand. There you go. And if I can trust that, if I know that I'm not going to undermine myself and make shitty decisions, which was not always true because, you know, some of the beliefs that we carry, some of the patterns that we hold, some of the ways that that we just adapted based on how we were raised, right? We undermine ourselves if we're not conscious of what's really going on and we don't dig into that deep and often very painful spiritual work around like, oh. Why do I keep, why do I keep sabotaging myself? Why do I never feel like I can trust myself? Why do I never feel like I'm good enough? Like these are important questions and we need support to actually dig into them. We need people that are trustworthy and who can hold that with us. hundred percent. But you know, the goal isn't like 
to come to a place where you have no problems or you've eradicated your ego because that's that just sounds bullshit. boring to me <laughs> that sounds boring to me well it's bullshit you can't be a human and not have an ego exactly your ego and the conscious mind are like the same thing I, i'm like you guys gotta understand yeah so i love that yeah you can't you can't eradicate your humanness but what you can do is get to a point where you can say i trust myself to listen to <clears throat> excuse me to myself and I trust myself to listen to my intuition and I trust myself to make good decisions with what I know at the moment. And, you know, once you get to that place, the unknown feels a lot less scary. Yes, 100%. And uh, it's kind of like, it's kind of like a knowing, like, um, what is it? It's like accepting and I, I find that level of faith that you're talking about in the idea of, of impermanence. I look, Everything will forever be changing, but the awareness of the changing. So that that level of stability and security for me, you know, always keeps me at bay when shit is like really hitting the fan when it hits the fan, because it sure does. But that second question, I didn't forget about it. It's still here. And that is because you talk about people who can really change the world and you want to equip them with the resources to get their voice out there more so they can move, push that kind of change. What kind of changes do you personally want to see in the world? What kind of changes do you think are necessary right now? Oh, thank you. Yeah. So the reason that I feel like the universe landed me in books yes, and why I'm well. still here is because change, all change begins with ideas. And what I see is that the, the institutions that are in place around ideas and information are no longer in service to ideas. They are in service to capital, to capitalism. And there's nothing wrong with making a shit ton of money. I am 100% yep, sure. I know, you guys, Bryna has huge money consciousness, money goals. I love, that's one thing I loved about her whenever we, we first had our call. But there's a difference between receiving in service and being in service to to money at all costs and so what i see is this this propensity to foster whatever idea will sell to the biggest number of people in this moment and so there's no ask in that mentality for people to expand their awareness. There's no ask in that mentality for people to grow and develop their ideas and perceptions. It's simply, oh, you want this? Let me give it to give you. Give it to you, yes. And that is a, a really sharp spiral right down to the lowest common denominator. And we're seeing it. We are seeing it. We're not asking people to be their best selves and to rise to a challenge and to think critically. Um, and this is happening in, in every sphere. It's happening in music. It's happening in media. It's happening in publishing. And to me, this is, it's just, it's the antithesis of growth. And, you know, and there's, it's not to say that there aren't amazing people doing amazing work in all of those places, but the general sort of abiding energy that's happening in those spaces as a whole Again, this is not an attack on any individual person or yeah, individual okay. company, but the, the abiding energy as a whole is that we're going to give people what they want. And 
if we had spent the most growth, like the most expansive periods of history only giving people what they wanted and not stepping into ideas that were expansive and positive for the collective, uh, we would probably never have moved past the dark ages. You know, like the Renaissance was thought. full of challenging ideas that were not considered good for the masses, right? You're right. And most of the things that we, you know, are normal today scare the crap out of people back then. The thought of a car, the thought of a plane, it was so abnormal that it, it wasn't scary to people because like, oh my God, who knows what that can cause. It was scary to people because it was not known. It was not, and that's the big thing I've seen. Well, you know, and I think that we're here. We're here with this this new information and technology around integrating physical and quantum. We're there with this mm. new information about, about how we are energy and how we have the capacity to create massive change and alignment and really have an influence on our three-dimensional reality. Like all of this is, yes, there's this information is out there. And what I'm seeing is that it's like the ideas that are, that are coming out are, it's, it's an interesting thing because again, there's so much beautiful work being done in certain spaces. But what I see is that it's like, let's quite frankly, dumb this down. Let's package this for mass consumption. Let's, you know, let's take people not on a journey of real questioning and introspection, but like, let's make this, oh, you know, we're, we're going to do this work, but we're going to package it this way, you know? So there's, it's, it's an, I, this is the idea that I'm, I'm, not really finding great words around, honestly, because I've only just started to talk about my feelings yes. on this. And so this is very raw. This is very, you know, feels a little bit unformed. Um, but really what, what it comes down to me is that if we have to filter ideas through a lens of marketability today in this current moment, we will always lose the most powerful, progressive, change-making ideas because people will not feel ready for them. Because people never feel ready, and I include myself in this, we never feel ready for the next right thing. It's always gonna be a big ask to step into that unknown. But if it's if we're 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 looking at ideas through the lens of who can I sell these to right now, as opposed to what are the ideas that are needed right now, we're just we're doing ourselves a, a huge disservice as a as a collective, as a society, and as individuals. And so, the people that I love to work with are the people who are truly the next generation of thought leaders. They are really coming up and into their own as people who are challenging the status quo within their industries. And a lot of people, you know, who have honestly not had great luck with traditional publishers because they don't have the million followers or, you know, or whatever, whatever the metrics are. Um, and, you know, again, there's a wide variety there, but, you know, for the most part, uh, it feels like a massive popularity contest. Which, yeah, no, you know, I, I totally As someone who was never like super popular growing up, the whole idea of the popularity contest is like, 
okay, we're, we're not going to go there. We're just not going to do that. Um, you know, and so there's nothing wrong with being the prom queen, but it's not the only metric by which we can measure our contribution. Right. Mm, Um, so, so there's, you know, there's a drive I think that I have to make sure that regardless of whether, um, whether other people consider them quote unquote marketable, that truly great stories and ideas are given a platform. Mm. I like that a lot. And something that you said that uh, really, you know, shook me was we never feel ready for the next right thing. And uh, I think I I just want to pause on that for a moment, because so many people who are listening to this probably have a groundbreaking idea right now, probably have a next generation thought, um, you know, disruptive idea right now probably feels really intimidating i want y'all to remember what brina said when she said sometimes it i mean it can feel like heartbreak it can feel like pain it can and it can also feel scary as shit whenever you have these kind of big ideas to execute on so thank you for saying that because i think that's um i don't know it's just something that uh, a lot of people need to not hear but feel on in their nervous system you know and um but there is something also that I wanted to uh, ask you was you, as I sat back and kind of like thought about this conversation today, I was thinking, wow, she does really interesting things, you know, in in the means of you get to witness a very interesting phenomena. And what that phenomena is, seeing a literal electromagnetic impulse called a thought, right, charged up with some electromagnetic feelings, and you see that literally materialize into a into physical matter, right? You get to facilitate the process. You get to witness that in a lot of ways. You know, I want to know what you've learned throughout that for yourself. Because, for example, doing my work, I've learned that our power is now. And when I say that, I mean... A lot of people fall into the trap of I got to go revisit my entire childhood to change my life or I have to I'm at mercy of what's going on in my unconscious, you know, and I'm like, well, you're actually pretty conscious of a lot of the shit going on and you can consciously change a lot. Uh, And that's been a big lesson for me just watching consistently what's happening with my clients. So for you watching that consistent path, that path happen. What is like, what have you learned from that for yourself? Or like, what, if you can just look at that, what have you taken away for yourself or anything? Yeah. So I think what I've really loved um, over the years is seeing exactly what you said, seeing this ephemeral sort of spark of an idea Mm -hmm. be given life. And, you know, we often actually talk about the book development process as like gestation and birthing, right? Oh yeah. Very common metaphor. And, you know, but it really works in this, in this case, because there are certain processes that not just an idea that's going to be a book, but really any idea has to go through. There are certain evolutionary and iterative processes that an idea has to go through in order to be of service in the world. Mm, And so service, there you go. Um, because there are certain ways that we as humans learn, we learn best through story. And then if we can take story and make it applicable and actionable, that is the most powerful learning mechanism that there is. And so, 
you know, we have a proprietary, I don't call it a formula, I call it a framework that we use for nonfiction books. And um, it's very, it's very loose and it's very adaptable, but there are certain elements and certain benchmarks that must be met in order for the idea to grow into a useful structure that can then be taken in by readers and consumers and actually put to use. And so that was something that I saw a lot over the years in the book world is that people had these amazing ideas, but the framework within, within which they were contained was not communicating those ideas to their fullest. And so, um, you know, this is part of like, I could go on a whole tangent about like the whole, like write your book in a weekend thing that happens. And like, no, don't write your damn book in a weekend. <laughs> like, you know, I've seen, I've seen a lot of those things. Yeah. Um, and it's, you know, it produce, it can produce when done well, an actionable rough draft, but it's, it's basically, you've just dug up some clay from the ground and you've plopped it on the pottery wheel. Please don't publish that. Like, get some support <laughs> and craft it into this beautiful, functional piece that it's meant to be. But so many people are told or or assume that they can just skip that step, and so their ideas uh, yeah. are not doing the work that they're meant to do because they don't ha they haven't been formed into something that can be useful to someone else. And so that's I love how I love how you keep repeating the word useful. You know, it's like, is this like actually like, is this practical? Is this useful for somebody? Because that's such a big thing. We create a lot of things, not um, thinking of what is this going to do or how can this affect somebody else's life? So I just like that you keep going back on that. Well, you know, we don't learn from information. That Absolutely. is a huge misconception. We do not learn from information. Information yes. is all around us. It doesn't make a damn difference if we don't have a pathway to put it to use. And so the best ideas in the world are not useful unless they can be contained and communicated in a way that someone can take and apply in real time. And so it's not, and this is, this is the thing that like, I think gets mixed up a lot in the publishing world is that marketable and useful are two different things. Oh. And, and so some of some, some books do a beautiful job of being both. Right. Think of some of the books that have changed your life. Marketable. How to win friend and influence people is like the first one that came to my mind. It's marketable extremely marketable. Exactly. Yes. Very useful. Yep. But it's not it's not useful because of the way it was marketed. It was useful because of the way it was constructed. And oh. so I think the missing piece. And I'm so glad we're talking about this because I've actually never put this together in this way before. So guys, you're here. This is making sense to me. Yeah. Live right now. <laughs> but but there's this there's this crossover, right? So just because an idea or a product or anything at all can be sold to a large number of people does not make it useful. And it doesn't make it actionable. I mean, think about how many diet pills are sold in the US every year. And they are marketable very are they useful in a long-term positive progressive sense maybe yeah. Har hardly hardly i can hardly. say that from, from my study of like supplements for a little duration of time hardly <laughs> yeah. and so you know and so giving people what they want 
and not necessarily what they need to create long-term positive change, right? We see that in the health and wellness industry, but it also happens on a much more subtle level in publishing. Mm. That we're giving people what they want because lots of people will buy a book if it's what they want, but is it really what they need? Is it really the challenging, thought-provoking, unpopular ideas that are actually going to spur people to change? Is that what we're giving people? That's what I want to give people. Okay, let me ask you this. Out of the clients that you've had so far, which one, you can? You don't have to say the name, you can just say the idea or the name of the book or whatever. But in terms of what has been the most actionable and, chat? no, not actionable, challenging idea that's impacted you from one of your clients? Oh my goodness. What I know, it's a loaded question. question. Yeah, um, I'm going to have to think about this because I I will not take on a book, even if I don't fully agree with the idea, I won't take on a book unless I can see that that idea is transformative and action. Okay. Okay. Um, because if I can't put my energy fully behind it, then I won't serve my clients well. 100%. So, um, so I don't need to agree. I just need to be able to see that this is going to be a force for positive change. And then I can help create that vehicle. Um, and, you know, and my team can help create that vehicle. So let's see books that have completely changed my view. Okay. Or, or, or it can just be like an idea from one of, one of your clients books that like, you know, a chapter or just a new way of thinking that, got you like, damn, I, I needed that. Right. And it challenged you. Oh my gosh. Well, I feel like that for every book that we take on, <laughs> I, I learned yeah. something from every, but I'll tell you about one. So there's a book that my client, Evelyn jury, uh, created called the family soul. And she is from the Netherlands and she is an absolute genius when it comes to, um, positive family dynamics. And okay. Um, and so she, the family soul is really about she has created for herself and for the people that she's worked with this system for actually creating. Um, and so what the family I should I should preface this by saying the family soul is a concept, right? No, nobody really knows what a family soul is. And then you say, okay. like, what's your family soul? Okay. And people will stop and they'll be like, oh, because every family as a nuclear unit has this energy and dynamic, but what nobody really knows until Evelyn start, you know, started talking about this information was that, you know, that's something you can shape deliberately. Like you can create an energy and a, um, and, and you can create traditions and you can create um, you know, spaces within your family that nurture and support everyone. And there's an actual pathway to do it. And mm. I was like, I was a little skeptical at first. I, you know, like I always kind of felt like, you know, I'm incredibly lucky in my, my husband and partner, Matthew, and, you know, we have done our best to create an incredible, you know, family space for our kids and brought in our extended family. And we've been very deliberate about all that, but this was like a whole new level. And, mm. um, I'm it was really eye opening. I'm really interested. I wrote down the name of that. Oh, uh, it's, it's a fantastic book. And, 
you know, and there's still, you know, I think so many of us just think that like we ended up in and with our family just like randomly. Maybe some I of believe us we lucky. chose it at some level. Maybe some of us were not lucky, you know, but if we want to create something that is really special, we can actually, we don't have to like wait on luck for that. We can actually do it. And so mm. it was working on that book with this, was it just a huge growth curve for me? Cause I was looking at like, wow, there's a lot of things that I thought I was like, you know, I wasn't even paying attention to that can be so impactful for my family and my kids, you know? Mm, um, I love it. So that that's a real, I think that's a good example, but yeah, that I, is, that's, that's interesting. It's, it's intriguing. It's intriguing. And I do, um, I can imagine you've read, well, cause I know you're, you know, into spirituality and consciousness and things like that. So, and a lot of this podcast is all about that, but I know, I mean, I can imagine you probably read, uh, the law of attraction by Esther and Jerry Hicks. Right. And whenever it's just like the whole book is basically just like question and answering, right. Just like asking a question and then Abraham answering it. And I thought one of the most interesting ideas of Abraham saying, you choose mom and dad and brother and sister and all of that before you get into the womb. And I'm just like, Oh my God, like that. And then, uh, just that reality itself shook the head out of me. But, um, well, I'm sure that, you know, all, all of us can look back and find some, something, less you know, I mean, that has, you know, that came from our childhood that shaped us or empowered us. You know, looking at that viewpoint, I'm sure that many people would be like, what the fuck was I thinking? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, oh my God, you're crazy, right? It's and like, well, where's the, exactly like you said. And so, but there's, you know, we, we don't have to agree with or sanction or even forgive any of the experiences that we had as children and young people. But what I think we can do is recognize that, you know, the strengths that we might have gained from those challenging situations and the perspective and the compassion that we have learned as a result of those challenging situations. And, you know, I feel like, and the other thing too, that, that I, I feel like really strongly um, needs to be said more is that we don't have to go to outside entities for those kinds of answers. Um, we can, we can ask ourselves these questions. Yes. So, um, you know, so I would just really say to anybody, like if, if, uh, if an idea that is presented in any context, spiritual or otherwise feels incredibly untrue to you, just ask yourself, what do I know is true? Mm. And, you know, it's, it's a practice that can lead you, first of all, to your own crappy beliefs that are, you know, oh, yeah. that are, you yeah, know, it's part of the game, though. Life. Like, it's what do I game, believe though. is true? Um, but also to some of the greater truths about why you're here and what you're here to do and, you know, what you can contribute and what you want to contribute and um, who you want to be in the world. And so there's no one who can define that but you. And I know identity is important to you, right? Yeah. Identity yeah, but... is everything. I mean, that's that's the human part of us. 
you know, like, the way you see yourself is going to be the world It's going to be the way the world reflects right back to you. It's important. This self-image. It's, I, I talk about the self-image profusely on this podcast. My listeners probably hate it at this point, but I'm just like, y'all guys, I mean, just, it's so freaking important. Bryna wouldn't be who she is today if she didn't see herself in this light. Right. But so I hope you guys noticed today wasn't about how to launch your new book in the next 30 minutes. That is not what our focus was today. And this, I just want you to go and and actually take some time right now to one of the best ways to let information really set in is, and this is making it useful, right? Is after you listen to somebody's story or after you listen to something, sit down and ponder on the lessons you've learned. That is a really great way to sustain and to sustain information in a great way. So there's a lot of great nuggets in your story. And I just want to appreciate you so much for jumping on here. If our listeners want to work with you, want to just get to know you more, uh, you know, follow you, what would be the best way for them to reach out to you? Or do you have something you'd like to give to the audience? What's, what's that look like? Oh, thank you. Yeah. So I actually, I don't do um, free downloads or, you know, funnels or anything like that. Um, I really prefer to just have wonderful one-on-one -on -one conversations with people. So if you're interested in, uh, in what we do, if you want to share one of your big ideas, right on our homepage at worldchangers.media is a link to book a call with me. And just let's, let's dive in on your big idea. Perfect. I'll put that in the show notes below. Um, I do ask everybody this last question and I want to ask it to you. And that is if you had 60 seconds left in the world, right? Um, in terms of that was it, right? 60 seconds left in this physical human experience. And you had a microphone that was just broadcasted globally and you were going to give one last message anything. It doesn't have to be book related. It can be whatever is on mind. Mm. What would that be? What comes immediately to mind is you are whoever you decide you are. So please stop fucking around and do what you came here to do. Mm.